my average client is coming to me after they've already had their student loans for a decade or more, and they are finally in a financial position to try to tackle the debt. But then they look at it and they're shocked by how much interest has accrued, especially on federal student loans with capitalization, because every time you take a forbearance, they add that out, that payment outstanding interest to your principal balance. So it's not a shock to me when someone says, oh, I only borrowed 50000 but now I owe $90,000 this time later. What the hell do I do? And mm-hmm. so they are in a better financial position, albeit it's 15 years after they graduated. And I think it sucks that they have to deal with this, but they're also, okay, what do I need to do? There's a lot of, okay, what is the best step for me? So to balance my paying back this debt and then also saving for retirement, building a family, buying a house, these things. So there's a lot of anxiety around being able to do it all. And we just work through what that looks like for them. I'll tell you that they come in, they come to me and they are stressed the fuck out. And then after (laughs) we talk through it and kind of walk through all the options, there's like, really, it's like that? And so there's a disbelief a little bit in what it is I'm telling them. But then after we walk through it all, they're like, oh, actually, I see the path moving forward. The biggest thing I have to tell people is that sometimes you have to learn to ignore the balance and pay attention to what the end goal is and how it will work for you. So if we go down this path, your loans will be forgiven. It's going to take some time. But would you rather try to pay off this debt as aggressively as possible Or would you rather go ahead and do all these other things in your life, knowing that there's a plan to tackle the student loan debt? Now, once we walk through all of that, they they feel much more at ease about their situation because they'll stress themselves out trying to think about it like a credit card debt or anything else where they try to pay it back. But I'm like, you don't have the money to do this. You you may make $120,000, but if you owe $100,000 for you to pay this off inside of a 10-year period, you're looking at a monthly payment of around $1,100. Can you do that and still provide for your mortgage, your house, your kids, things like that? And a lot of times the answer is no. So if you can't do that, then let's do this other thing. And then once we get past that part, that mental block of looking at student loan debt differently than other debts, things become a lot easier. This week's episode, I speak with Stanley Tate, a lawyer specializing in student loan-focused law. Why? Because student loans are contracts. Who knew that student loans were so complex that lawyers could specialize in solving the problems related and connected to this one issue? His unique insight into the student loan crisis may give listeners some hope that there may be a solution to their student loan problem available to them now without having to wait for student loan forgiveness. I was really intrigued by his story, his profession, and it's wild to me how much people don't know about the loans that they have and the solutions available to them right now. As a result of my debt experience, I was super skittish about ever getting another credit card again. 
I hate to admit this, but when it was time to sign up for my first card in years, I chose badly. I hate this new card and I wish that I had known about Cash Freely when making this decision. What I love about this free tool is the following. It helps credit card users stay organized when using different cashback rewards programs. You don't have to worry about leaving cash on the table and Cash Freely helps credit card users optimize the different cashback rewards programs that may be a part of the current cards you're using or future cards that you may be considering applying for in the future. By the way, the card that I have doesn't have rewards program and that's part of the reason why I don't like it. And just maybe that extra cash that you earn can be applied as an extra payment on your student loan. I went there, maybe it's too soon. Again, this is a free app or you can use the website and I think you should check it out. Click on the link in my show notes. Please note, Michelle is Money Hungry is for entertainment purposes only. Do your due diligence. No comments should be construed as legal advice. You must do your own research in order to resolve your student loan related issues or any other financial problems as discussed on the show. Again, please remember that any comments made on the show are not to be construed as advice or legal advice. Hey, I'm Stanley Tate. I'm an attorney and my law practice is focused solely on helping people solve student loan issues. How did you get into that area of work. What happened where you would focus primarily on that type of law? I was a federal bankruptcy clerk. So I worked for a judge and I was getting ready to transition into the workforce in chambers. And I was thinking about what to do. And one of the attorneys um, that I was interviewing just to kind of figure out next steps, he suggested that I look into student loan law. And he said, it's a huge problem. We don't have anyone that knows anything about any of this stuff. And it could be an area for you to focus on. So I looked into it, but I was like, who the hell does anything with student loans? What the hell is this? It's not an area of law. It's not anything. But the more I looked into it, and this is 2014 at the time, 2013, the more I looked into it, I realized it was a pretty complex problem because there were so many layers that were involved in it. And the complexity intrigued me because it allowed me to keep interest in what was happening. And then on top of that, I realized there was so much misunderstanding around student loans that it gave you opportunity to be a hero to somebody because you could solve their situation where they weren't getting good service or they were getting bad information from the companies that were supposed to be helping them, which are the student loan servicers. What were some of the key problems that you found yourself tasked helping people with over and over again? Really understanding what their options were. So the the problem is people aren't really empowered when it comes to their student loans. So they take these out when they're 17, 18, 19. They don't really understand them. They just sign a piece of paper to go to school. And now they're stuck with tens of thousands of dollars. And they're relying on the person on the other end of the phone to be able to guide them on what their best option is for their situation. And for many of them, there was a time where they didn't have many options. But then as things change and policies have been implemented and improved, those options became more, but they never really got the information they needed. So a lot of times what I was doing was looking at what payment plan they were in and saying, actually, no, you should be in this one because it's going to be more beneficial for you in the long term. Or maybe they defaulted and it just chose to stay in default because they didn't think they can get an affordable plan. And then we look at it and like, actually, no, you could be doing this, this, and this, get an affordable plan and be on track for loan forgiveness. So let's just go ahead and do that. So a lot of it wasn't anything that would involve using like my law degree 
to go into court and change policies. It was really using my problem solving skills to figure out how do we best put you in in the best possible situation. Wait, you said something that I actually had no idea, which is that there are folks who have defaulted but could still be eligible for forgiveness. Could you talk about that a little more? Right. So this is one of the cool things about federal student loans is that once you default, it's not the end of the road. The debt can be reinstated and brought back into good standing. You have the opportunity to kind of reset everything if you can get yourself out of default and then get put back on a payment plan and you'll pick up right where you left off on track for forgiveness. So for instance, I have teachers who had been in default for a couple of years and we were able to get them out of default, get them on a payment plan. Now they're on track to have their loans forgiven in a few short years later under public service loan forgiveness. And they thought, oh, I should just stay in default and they'll just haunt me into retirement. I was like, no, you don't need to do that. We can do this instead and you can still save for retirement and still do all these other things. So it's not as terrible of a situation as you painted in your mind. So I brought you on to talk about the student loan forgiveness policy that's been tossed around. And I'm wondering, what have you noticed in the community that you've been serving around this topic? Like, are people upset? Are they excited about it? Are they confused? What is it about student loan forgiveness that you're noticing in terms of just a topic that the people that you serve are talking about, if they're talking about it? Everyone I serve are people that have student loans themselves. And I talk to roughly about 5,000 people a year that all have different levels of student loans. And then my colleagues and things like that, they all have it. So there is a, a clamor for blanket student loan cancellation. But for many of the people I deal with, $10,000 is just a penance. It doesn't actually change anything materially in their life because many of them are advanced degrees and they may not have advanced earnings to pair with those degrees, Mm -hmm. but they have advanced degrees that come with tens of thousands of dollars of debt. So $10,000 doesn't change anything for them when you owe a hundred thousand, right? You're still in the same position. But what has happened are these policy fixes to existing programs that have actually are going to give them greater relief than $10,000 ever could. Now, does that ease some of their minds? Absolutely. But is there still a cry for, we should just wipe it all out? Yeah, sure, there is. But I think a lot of it just has to do with the emotional weight of the debt versus how it's actually impacting their lives. Because once we talk through the options that are available to them and how these things can work and how they benefit them, then they're actually at more ease with what's going on and they're not waiting for blanket cancellation. What do you think both the federal government and private lenders could be doing better to communicate what people could be doing in order to work with their loans? It feels like there's just a serious lack of communication happening. What would you advise them to do? It's hard to say, right? The news covers it all. But the problem is people, they have a hard time applying the general to the specific. And so you need someone to say, okay, how does this policy benefit me? Because we're not listening with unjaded ears, right? Our ears are, we're calloused over with like our past experiences. So we think a lot of this is BS. So I I think a lot of it has to do with, okay, how do we talk to this individual and get them the help they need? And that may be better leveraging technology for people that are internet savvy that can use help tools online. And the Department of Education has done that with like their PSLF help tool. They're also looking to improve that with 
how they're tracking progress towards income-driven repayment. So I think there needs to be a better use of technology and also proactive communication and illustrative videos that show how these things work. And then better training for student loan servicers uh, and holding them accountable as well for giving accurate information to people. But then on the back end, there are issues that come down to the complexity of the student loan program itself, where you have a program that's been in existence for like nearly 40 something years, and there's different loans that have different rules. So maybe we can simplify things by having one income driven repayment plan instead of four. And that way it's easier to uh, operate moving forward. You mentioned the $10,000 amount that now the current administration is talking about. Have you spoken with borrowers and what what's their response? What, what have you heard in terms of talking to the people that you're working with about the current moves towards the $10,000? For, for most people, $10,000, it, it doesn't change anything in their lives. And so they want more than that. It can make a material dent in the balances that they're carrying. That said, there are people where $10,000 does benefit and may make a decision uh, different for them. So I have some clients who are in default on a student loan and they may not want to pay back the loan until after this $10,000 is applied and that way they can get a discount of paying it off. There's some people like that. But for the the vast swath of them, $10,000 doesn't matter. What they care about is, can I get more? Can I get $50,000? And then also there's another concern about any income caps that may be tied to it and whether those be 125000 household or single or two fifty, maybe that that's an issue as well for some of them. I don't think $10,000 really moves the needle for any of them. If you were working on this policy, what would be the first thing that you would do? I, so I think there's still room to improve the existing programs. I wouldn't be focused on blanket cancellation. I think that's kind of like a red herring. So for instance, with PSLF, uh, public service loan forgiveness, there are still those people who work in alongside public service employees, but they're employed by a private contractor and they don't receive forgiveness because they're paid by a private contractor instead of working directly for the government and nonprofit, even though they're doing the exact same work. That's one. We can expand it from there. There's also older borrowers who have what are called joint spousal consolidation loans, and they're locked out of all of these types of forgiveness because Congress effectively doesn't let them do anything with their loans, so they're not eligible for any of these relief programs that are coming up. The final thing I would probably focus more on is doing a much better job of communicating the the benefits of existing programs and putting people in there for income-driven repayment forgiveness, which is a big one, which is going to help millions of people shed their debt, especially people who've been paying on their loans for 20 years. So I don't think we need a real policy shift more so than we need to do a better job of implementing what's already there. I'm curious about your thoughts on the cost for education, because, you know, boomers didn't pay this kind of money to go to school. Say, for example, next week, the administration wipes out all of the loans out there in arrears or what have you, like student loan forgiveness happens. 
what's to say that we aren't going to end up in the same situation five years from now? I, 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 I totally like, agree with you. I what think are we that, supposed to do about the cost? Right. And so I think that's the real issue is that as consumers, we have also demanded more from universities. And so there's been an arms race on facilities, right? So they want better dorms. They want better gym, uh, gyms. Students want these things. And so schools go out and do it. So I don't know how forgiving debt actually changes the economic model of this where things are so overpriced in comparison to what it is you stand to gain. Now, do we need to do a better job as investors, which is what we are when we borrow loans to pay for our education and making sure that we get a return on investment? Absolutely. But then also these schools, it doesn't make sense that you're borrowing $200,000 for undergraduate education, which is what I have some people borrow to go to like mid-tier schools or sub-tier schools. But I think we need to be smarter consumers. And I also think we need to start holding schools accountable for our results driven. So if you're going to participate in the federal student loan program, then you need to have caps on what you're allowed, what the results are that you're getting. You need to have some type of guardrails in place that ensures that students are going to uh, benefit from taking out that much debt. One of the things that was really interesting to me to discover was that the federal government is very directly connected to a lot of the bad lending that is happening out there in terms of for-profit schools and their partnership with federal the federal student loan program. What are some of the things that, that the um, Department of Education can do to make sure that they're not part of the problem? Yeah, so they're, they're working on that. And so this is part of, this is one of the big issues is that when the student loan program was created they for federal student loans, they, Lyndon Johnson, President Johnson at the time, he wanted to make sure it was open to all borrowers, all students of all walks of life. And so the requirements of getting there wasn't a credit requirement. You didn't have to prove that the education we were receiving uh, was quality and things like that. It's just, was the school eligible to participate in the, in the federal financial aid system? Yes. Now, you have these schools that flaunt the rules, but I think in any system we have, people are going to flaunt the rules to take advantage of it. But I think we also need to be better at prosecuting those schools and recovering money from them um, to try to ward off um, these unsavory participants who are just looking to prey on the helpless from that standpoint. Um, and I think we need to continue improving um, the borrower defense to repayment program so that it runs much more smoothly than it has, because that's the program that's designed to make sure that students aren't saddled with uh, this debt from these for-profit institutions or other nonprofit institutions that also are providing a shoddy education uh, moving forward. So I, I think there needs to be a greater emphasis on policing these schools and not letting them go on for years just because they meet some um, vanity metrics that we need to interrogate them more about whether the results they're bringing back for students. I have a question about just the cost of education and how it impacts future opportunity and just how your clientele are perceiving that or just what you're observing. If you could touch on that in any way you feel like, that would be fantastic. Yeah. So my average client is coming to me um, after they are They've already had their student loans for a decade or more, and they are finally in a financial position um, to try to tackle the debt. But then they look at it and they're shocked by how much interest has accrued, especially on federal student loans with capitalization, because every time you take a forbearance, they add that out, that payment outstanding interest to your principal balance. So it's not a shock to me when someone says, oh, I only borrowed 50000 but now I owe $90,000 uh, this time later. What the hell do I do? And mm -hmm. so they are in a better financial position 
albeit it's 15 years after they graduated. And I think it sucks that they have to deal with this, but they're also, okay, what do I need to do? There's a lot of, okay, what is the best step for me? So to balance my paying back this debt and then also saving for retirement, building a family, buying a house, these things. So there's a lot of anxiety around being able to do it all. And we just work through what that looks like for them. Um, I'll tell you that they come in to they come to me and they are stressed the fuck out. And then after <laughs> we talk through it and kind of walk through all the options, there's like, really? It's like that? And so there's a disbelief a little bit in what it is I'm telling them. But then after we walk through it all, they're like, oh, actually, I see the path moving forward. The biggest thing I have to tell people is that sometimes you have to learn to ignore the balance and pay attention to what the end goal is and how it will work for you. So if we go down this path, your loans will be forgiven. It's going to take some time, but would you rather try to pay off this debt as aggressively as possible? Or would you rather go ahead and do all these other things in your life, knowing that there's a plan to tackle the student loan debt? Now, once we walk through all of that, they, they feel much more at ease about their situation because they'll stress themselves out trying to think about it like a credit card debt or anything else where they try to pay it back. And, and But I'm like, you don't have the money to do this. You, you may make 120000 but if you owe 100000 for you to pay this off inside of a 10-year period, you're looking at a monthly payment of around $1,100. Can you do that and still provide for your mortgage, your house, your kids, things like that? And a lot of times the answer is no. So if you can't do that, then let's do this other thing. And then once we get past that part, that mental block of looking at student loan debt differently than other debts, things become a lot easier. Do you think that some of the anger being voiced about this, the student loan forgiveness potential policy is, is warranted? Like you, you'll hear people say, hey, I paid off all my loans. What like this pisses me off. Do you, do you think that's a fair uh, criticism? Um, I think it's fair for those people who are recent graduates and tackled their debt. Hearing from someone who took out loans in 1970, 1980, early 90s, I don't think that works the same. I get it, but your balances are nowhere near what it was. So your frustrations there. Also, like, just because you did something doesn't mean that forgiveness is bad for other people. It's a very selfish response to things. But we we have to have those conversations and address those because if we think about it, the vast majority of Americans don't have student loan debt as well. And so you're asking them to carry part of that burden as a taxpayer. So you have to be able to address it to them. How does this work? How does this benefit it? And I think the question you asked me earlier about um, what happens if we do forgive student loan debt, what do we do then? Because all it is is just a big reset button and we're still dealing with the same problem maybe five, 10 years down the line. 